All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Monday, therefore we are standing in the confessional corner. This week we're going through the next part of Apology Article 12a as we look at forgiveness being received by faith. I am Pastor Doug Mitten, thankful to be here in the corner with you so that I may help guide you through these things. Now, this is something that we have already talked about numerous times, especially going through Article 4 of the Apology. But Melanchthon has to keep hammering away at the Roman theologians that talk about forgiveness being done by our works, by our satisfactions, by taking care of the law that God has given to us in Christ. And again, Melanchthon has to remind that Jesus talks about forgiveness being given by faith. So this week we're going to look at paragraphs 59 through 74 of Apology 12a. We begin with paragraphs 59 and 60. Since the adversaries clearly condemn our statement that people obtain the forgiveness of sins by faith, we shall add a few proofs. From these it will be understood that the forgiveness of sins is received not by the outward deed, ex opere operato again, because of contrition, but by that special faith by which an individual believes that sins are pardoned for him. For this is the chief article that we are debating with our adversaries and the knowledge we regard is necessary to all Christians. However, we have said enough already about the same subject and will be brief, for the doctrine of repentance and justification are very closely related. When the adversaries speak of faith, saying that it comes before repentance, they understand faith this way. Not that faith justifies, but that in a general way, it believes that God exists, that punishments have been threatened to the wicked, and so on. In addition to this faith, we require that each one believe that his sins are pardoned. We are arguing about this specific faith, and we contrast it to the opinion that asks us to trust not in Christ's promise, but in the outward act of contrition, confession, satisfactions, and so on. This faith follows terrors in such a way as to overcome them and make the conscience peaceful. We attribute justification and regeneration to this faith, since it frees from terrors and produces not only peace and joy, but also a new life in the heart. With God's help, we shall defend to eternity and against all the gates of hell that this faith is truly necessary for the forgiveness of sins, and so place it among the parts of repentance. Nor does Christ's church believe otherwise, although our adversaries contradict us. All right, again, it's very simple. The Roman theologians back in the 16th century and even in the 21st century believe that faith comes before repentance, that faith is simply the common assent of the history of Jesus and not the actual person and forgiveness that is there in the person of Jesus. Because faith for the Roman theologians is that there is someone else that you are accountable for. That acknowledgement, that is all their faith is, which is why they place such great emphasis on our works and the satisfactions that are given through the sacrament of penance. But Melanchthon goes on to remind us that that is not the way Jesus even talks about it. And he says, we have talked about this many times before, and we'll be brief at this point. But, you know, of course, that means that Melanchthon's got at least three or four things he wants to talk about in this section, in his brevity. So let's move on. Paragraphs 61 and 62. 
Furthermore, we ask the adversaries whether or not absolution is a part of repentance. If they separate it from confession, they are clever in making the distinction, we do not see what benefit confession has without absolution. If, however, they do not separate absolution from confession, it is necessary for them to hold that faith is a part of repentance, because absolution is not received except through faith. However, that absolution is received only through faith is proven from Paul, who teaches that the promise cannot be received except by faith, Romans 4.16. Absolution is the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, it necessarily requires faith. Neither do we see how the person who does not yield to absolution may yet be said to receive absolution. What else is the refusal to yield to absolution but charging God with falsehood? If the heart doubts, it regards those things that God promises as uncertain and of no account. So it is written, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. 1 John 5.10 Absolution is the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Absolution requires faith in that promise. You cannot have a calm conscience if you are not certain that your sins are forgiven. The list of works and satisfactions to be done do not calm the conscience. It just further builds up and causes doubts to increase. And this is because Rome had many centuries before separated confession and absolution. That truly the idea that is very prevalent among evangelicals now was prevalent then. That only God can forgive sins. That you only receive absolution on the last day. You do confession and you do the satisfactions and all the works of penance now in hopes of being able to get that in the future. But that is not what God teaches through the Bible. And Melanchthon continues on, continuing to be brief, mind you, to the next point in paragraphs 63 to 65. Second, we think that the adversaries recognize that the forgiveness of sins is either a part of repentance or its end. Therefore, whatever receives the forgiveness of sins is correctly added to the parts of repentance. However, it is very certain that even though all the gates of hell contradict us, the forgiveness of sins cannot be received except by faith alone. This faith believes that sins are pardoned for Christ's sake, according to Romans 3.25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Likewise, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, Romans 5.2. For a terrified conscience cannot set our works or our love against God's wrath. It is eventually quieted when it takes hold of Christ as mediator and believes the promises given for his sake. For those who imagine that hearts become quieted without faith in Christ do not understand what the forgiveness of sins is or how it came to us. So 1 Peter 2.6 cites from Isaiah 49.23 and 28.16, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It is necessary, therefore, that hypocrites be puzzled. They are confident that they receive the forgiveness of sins because of their own works and not because of Christ. Peter also says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.43 Whatever he says through his name could not be expressed more clearly. He adds everyone who believes in him. 
So we receive the forgiveness of sins only through Christ's name, that is, for Christ's sake, and not for the sake of any merits and works of our own. This happens when we believe that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Rome recognizes that forgiveness is the end goal of repentance, but if no one ever knows if they have reached that goal, what good is it? If you never reach the end of the race, the end of the task, how do you know it's ever finished? How do you know that it's actually worth doing? And that's the question that Rome leaves with all those who go into the confessional receiving their list of satisfactions. We continue on with verse or paragraphs 66 and 67. Our adversaries cry out that they are the church, that they are following the general agreement of the church. But Peter also cites here in our issue the consensus of the church. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.43 The general agreement of the prophets is certainly to be judged as the general agreement of the church universal. We admit neither to the Pope nor to the church the power to make decrees against this general agreement of the prophets. But the bull of Leo openly condemns this article, Repentance, and the adversaries condemn it in the confutation. It is clear what sort of a church we must judge these men to be. By their decrees, they not only condemn the doctrine that we obtain the forgiveness of sins through faith, not on account of our works, but because of Christ, but they also give the command to abolish it by force and the sword and by every kind of cruelty to put to death good people who believe this way. The Roman theologians not only condemn the notion that the forgiveness of sins is received by faith, they want it completely abolished from the mind of every Christian. They are willing to use whatever means that are at their disposal in order to do just that. If that means coming at you with the sword and wiping out your village, they will do it. And the history of the Reformation from the time of the Augsburg Confession to the time of the Formula of Concord has that very thing happening over and over again. Because Rome wants control over everything, including what you believe, why you believe it, how you believe it. Because if it is not from them, they want nothing to do with it, even if it comes from the entire council of all the prophets and the apostles in the scriptures. All Melanchthon continues his second point in this section in paragraphs 68 to 74. They have famous authors, Scotus, Gabriel, Briel, and the like, and the passages of the fathers that are quoted in a butchered form in the decrees. Certainly, if the quotations are to be counted, they win. For there is a very great crowd of most silly writers on the sentences. As though they had worked together, they defend these fables about the merit of attrition and of works and other things that we have mentioned previously. But let no one be moved by the multitude of citations. There is no great weight in the testimonies of the later writings. They did not create their own writings, but only by compiling from the writers before them, transfer these opinions from some books into others. They have exercised no judgment. Just like petty judges, they have silently approved the errors of their superiors, which they have not understood. Therefore, let us he not hesitate to say this saying of Peter, which summarizes the prophets and opposes ever so many legions of the commentators of the sentences. The Holy Spirit's testimony is added to the statement of Peter, for the text speaks in this way. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Acts 10, 44. 
Therefore, let godly consciences know that God's command is this. They are to believe that they are freely forgiven for Christ's sake and not for the sake of our works. Let them sustain themselves against despair and against the terrors of sin and of death by this command of God. Let them know that this belief has existed among saints from the beginning of the world. For Peter clearly cites the general agreement of the prophets, and the writings of the apostles confirm that they believe the same thing. Nor are the testimonies of the fathers lacking. For Bernard says the same thing in words that are in no way hidden. It is necessary, first of all, to believe that you cannot have forgiveness of sins except by the indulgence of God. But add yet that you believe this also, namely that through him sins are forgiven to you. This is the testimony that the Holy Spirit asserts in your heart, saying, Your sins are forgiven you. For so the apostle concludes that a person is justified freely through faith. These words of Bernard shed a wonderful light upon our cause, because he not only requires that we believe in a general way that sins are pardoned through mercy, but he also asks us to add special faith, by which we believe that our sins are forgiven. He teaches how we can be sure about the forgiveness of sins, namely when our hearts are encouraged through faith and become peaceful through the Holy Spirit. What more do the adversaries require? Do they still dare deny that we receive the forgiveness of sins through faith or that faith is a part of repentance? This is the great question of it all, isn't it? They can pile up proof text after proof text after proof text, which is the problem with proof texting, is that yes, you can go and you can find people that will say exactly what you want them to say, and you can use these things out of context, twist your own argument, so that people will be left scratching their heads, figuring out how they can answer you. But again, you have to look at the context. And even the context of those that say the very opposite of what you're saying. Because the sentences, that great comprehensive library of sayings put together by Peter Lombard in the 13th century, had dozens upon dozens of commentaries on it. And it was just like the rabbis in Jesus' day as they were compiling together just what the previous rabbis had said. Because they didn't want to say anything of their own. They wanted to base everything on the authority of somebody before them. So that it's like, you can't argue with me because now you're arguing with this previous rabbi from the last century. But Melanchthon points out that of all the great medieval theologians that Rome can boast, Bernard of Clairvaux agrees more with the Lutherans in their writings than they do with the Roman adversaries. Why? Because the Reformers, the Lutherans, are teaching the truth from the Scripture, just like the medieval theologians did. Before the rise of scholasticism and the uh, making everything about the church academic and mental instead of physical as well, you had people proclaiming the word of God and its truth and purity. And that's exactly what we do when we come together as church. That is exactly what we're supposed to do, is to preach repentance and preach faith in Christ. Not just that Jesus existed, not just that God exists, but that he exists, that he came into the flesh to die and rise again for your sins, to forgive you. That is the important part. All right, next week we'll pick up with paragraph 75 and Melanchthon's third part point in this 
argument against the Roman theologians, especially as he talks about and tackles the idea of contrition versus attrition again. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for standing in the confessional corner with me and being strengthened so that you might wrestle with the theology around you this week. Amen.